We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from Wild Turkey Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey. Let's tune in to their one-on-one with Jamal, a real bartender from Old Fourth Ward in Atlanta. I really get into the backstory of whatever I'm pouring. Out of respect. There are literally years of experience behind these bottles. Wild Turkey, same recipe since 1942. If you want a true classic, this is what you want to order. Wild Turkey. Wild Turkey Distilling Company, Lawrenceburg, Kentucky. Copyright 2020, Campari, American, New York, New York. Never compromise, drink responsibly. Welcome to the Rotowire NBA show on Dash Radio's NBA channel. Go to rotowire.com for free 10 days of access to our site, rotowire.com. I'm Nick Whalen, as always, by Rutha. Uh, Alex, we are recording late Tuesday night, midway through Lakers Nuggets right now. it's uh, It's been a one-sided affair in terms of the Denver Nuggets. Uh, we'll keep an eye on that game and and discuss the, the conclusion of Game 3, what it means for the series going forward. Uh, later in the episode, uh, we'll also touch on Wednesday's Game 4 between the Celtics and Heat as that approaches. Uh, but we had some fairly big news in the NBA on Tuesday afternoon. Adrian Wojnarowski uh, initially tweeted it out, and it was immediately quote-tweeted by like 45 NBA writers <laughs> who all swooped in and were there uh, to confirm that the Chicago Bulls have, in fact, hired Billy Donovan. Um, not Not... A huge surprise. Uh, you would imagine that once Billy Donovan made the decision to step away from Oklahoma City, which which had offered him an extension, you know, he was in in contention for Coach of the Year, did a great job this season for a team that 
uh, was up there with any in terms of overachieving. But the writing was on the wall when that first report came out that Donovan turned down the extension. I think we kind of knew that OKC would maybe be heading in the direction of a rebuild. That essentially sealed it. He jumps to what, as of right now, right the second is uh, an inferior job. I mean, Chicago was a 22-win team. OKC was a 44-win team in a in a better conference. Uh, but by the time we get to the offseason, whenever that is, whenever free agency and, and trades happen, uh, I think that Oklahoma City roster is going to look quite a bit more stripped down. And yeah, I don't know that Chicago will necessarily be loading up in, in what's a pretty weak free agency class, but, you know, he jumps to a job that is, you know, a team that's very much on the come up, even though, you know, they've kind of stalled over these last few years. I, I know you're kind of of the belief that the coaching and, and management has been a big reason for that, not so much as the players. Yeah, I, uh, I, I think the, the Bulls have a lot of talent and it, they, the last couple years, especially, They've been hit by injuries a lot. Markinen has missed quite, uh, I mean, a pretty solid chunk of games. Wendell Carter, I think, has only played like 80 any NBA games or something like that. Um, Otto Porter, obviously, he was going to be one of their best players this season, and he played, you know, barely at all and wasn't even 100, close to 100% when he did play most of the time. And I think, I mean, they should be more talented, right? The Bulls have more talent than Orlando does. Um, and this is just a team that, you know, it feels like they they definitely, I mean, they hated Jim Boylan. Like, that's just, like, like to some extent, it just comes down to they really hated their coach. Um, they just did, it's just someone they didn't want to play for. And I think injuries plus coaching just kind of has brought them down the past few years. And I think Billy Donovan, someone who seems to be respected by the players, um, could hopefully come in and um, change that. So step one, you obviously go and sign Joe Kim Noah. I've seen some suggestions that <laughs> he could be this this team's version of Udonis Haslam, who's essentially been in that same role for like seven years now, playing. You know, he'll, he'll moonlight in like four to seven games per year. Uh, has one of the best gigs in the league. I think Joe Kim Noah would be ideal for that. Uh, you know, then you sign Corey Brewer. Obviously, he's out there on the free agent market as well. Um, but uh, you know, does does this hire really change your outlook? for the Bulls next season. You know, I, I think, I think Zach Levine continues to progress at Kobe white. I think for the most part, looked pretty good, at least offensively as a rookie, but you know, you mentioned Laurie marketing can't seem to stay on the floor when he has been fully healthy. He's looked pretty good. This past season was essentially a lost year for Otto Porter. Like they're one of those teams for me that, you know, when you compare them to, to some of the really bad teams in the league, you know, you mentioned Orlando, which has been a playoff team these last couple of years. There's no doubt in terms of pure talent, that Chicago has the better roster, but at least when you compare them to the Knicks, the Pistons, certainly the Cavaliers, uh, you know, even some of those bottom tier teams in the West, like although the talent hasn't necessarily led to wins, you at least like one or two guys that they have at, at each position. Yeah, I think I think maybe it's not specifically the hiring of of Billy Donovan as much as just like any average coach like would have done it for me. I just think this roster is built to play run and gun, right? Like you look at who's on this team. You have Zach Levine, obviously a beast in transition. Uh, Kobe White uh, was excellent. Great three-point shooter. You have Laurie Markkinen, who works either as a stretch four or he could be a small ball five. You know, Otto Porter's, uh, you know, he's he's three and D, but he's played with John Wall. They got up and down the court. I just think like we, you, they needed a coach who would embrace 
that kind of run and gun young team style rather than Jim Boylan, who was always trying to like slow the offense down and like make sure they play perfect defense on every possession and like set up a play. It's like, you gotta, I think this is a team you kind of just have to like let loose like the Hawks to like the Hawks to some extent, even though the Hawks are awful, but they've looked <laughs> awesome at points. Um, yeah. I mean, you'd just rather have that than like, right. you know, I mean, the bulls are bad and they're like slow pace. Like they're just not entertaining to watch. Um, and so I think just having a coach that leans into the roster type makes sense. Yeah. I, I mean, I think if nothing else, that's a good point that it's, it's maybe not necessarily the fact that like Billy Donovan is Phil Jackson and all of a sudden he's just going to turn this into a title contender, but it's at least it's not Jim Boylan. Like you're making a massive step up <laughs> from what you had before, almost by default. And, you know, I, I saw some, some bulls writers say, you know, this was kind of a, a blah hire, you know, a guy who, you know, obviously had a good year this year, but I think until 2019, 20, was viewed as a, as a good but not great NBA coach. And I think there was some belief that you know people wanted like maybe a splashier, more out-of-the-box type of hire. I, I definitely get that. But at the same time, when you feel pretty good about the core that you have in place, I, I don't know if you want to go too risky. You know, I, I think they're realistic. Certainly they could be maybe the seven or the eight seed in the East next year. But I don't think if this team doesn't win a playoff series, it's going to be viewed as a failure by anyone. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, I think at, at the very least, it's good to have just basically take the coaching uh, issue out of it. You know, if, if the bulls do underachieve next season, you really can't point the finger at Billy Donovan, you know, at that point, then you can truly evaluate the roster because I think this past year, it's like, if you wanted to point the finger at Levine or Markinen or, or Wendell Carter, when he was healthy, you know, they could just say, well, look, we're playing for this coach who is acting like it's, you know, we're in the movie Hoosiers and is drilling us to death. Like it's, it's the ni- early 1980s, you know, like there was always kind of this caveat of like, would they be playing better if they had a normal NBA coach? And now that they do, I, I think it makes for a, a more peer evaluation pl- process of the actual roster. Yeah, I, I mean, I think I think that's 100% correct. And then if they're still bad, then you need to think about yes. trading core pieces. Exactly. Essentially, that being like Levine and right. Markinen and to some extent Wendell Carter. Um, right. Not as much. But they, I mean, even last season, they, they couldn't even really decide like, hey, just is Chris Dunn or Kobe White the guy, you know, for like yeah. <laughs> majority of the season. So hopefully they're, mm-hmm. uh, hopefully things get sorted out. So I want to circle back uh, something we didn't get to last week. Uh, all NBA teams were announced midway through last week. We, we recorded a pod on Thursday, ended up going very long on a variety of other topics. And we had it in the agenda, never quite got to it. Obviously it's not as prescient now uh, as it was back then, but uh, I feel like we should still address it. So, you know, if you missed it or if you need a refresher, first team was Luka Doncic, James Harden, LeBron James, Giannis, Anthony Davis. Second team, Damian Lillard, Chris Paul, Pascal Siakam, uh, Kawhi Leonard, and Nikola Jokic. And third team was Ben Simmons, Russell Westbrook, Jimmy Butler, Jason Tatum, and Rudy Gobert. I, I really didn't see too many complaints with this year's All-NBA team. Um, the main complaint was... I, I, Maybe this is just me following a lot of Bucks people, but I, I think a lot of people were upset Chris Middleton didn't sneak onto third team. And based on how the voting broke down, it seems like he should have. And, you know, it, it, he was he was essentially cast as a forward. Uh, I believe he received more more total votes than both Ben Simmons and Russell Westbrook, who were uh, slotted in at guard. But he finished both behind both Jason Tatum and Jimmy Butler, especially knowing what we know now. It's it's hard to say Chris Middleton should have made all NBA over the two best players for the teams playing for, for a title bid in the Eastern conference. Uh, but of course, you know, these votes were all cast during the regular season. 
this is just this. I feel like we're going on year like six or seven in a row now of why are we still doing rigid positions for these awards? That's a good question. Um, yeah, positionally, the NBA is obviously as fluid as ever. It's it's only going to continue going that way. I think um, I, I think Middleton deserved to probably make it. I probably would have put him over Westbrook. Um, I I'm cool with with Ben Simmons in there because he his defense was honestly incredible, mm-hmm. and he's someone that is still giving you you know 16, 8, and eight on you know 50 plus percent shooting. Like he's really good. Um, but I I think Chris Middleton going 50, 40, 90 for what would have been almost a 70 win team. I think that goes over Westbrook. And this is obviously easier to say now that we saw Westbrook play like <laughs> garbage uh, in the you know in the first round of the playoffs. And he was hurt, and he had COVID. Those are tons of excuses still. I just feel like I, I would have even thought Bradley Beal could have made it over um, Westbrook, honestly. But yeah, yeah, I think I think the positions do need to be uh, more fluid for sure. Yeah, Beal is another guy I left out. I mean, I in a situation like this, I I'm more than willing to overlook a, a poor team record. And it, I mean, I know Washington was what 22 games under 500, but I mean they were still right there you know, for, for the nine seed in the Eastern conference. Um, and those 22 games uh, under 500 also count them just stinking it up in the bubble. Like they weren't that bad uh, at the time that that voting was, was taking place. I, I think, almost, I think to me, Beal is almost a bigger snub than Chris Middleton. Um, you know, obviously Middleton has the team component. He has the efficiency component, but man, if you, if you average 31 points per game, six assists, four rebounds, you know, one steal, uh, the defensive metrics with Beal were were terrible this year. I recognize that, but I mean this Wizards roster outside of Beal was as bad as any team in the entire league. I mean it right up there with Detroit and with Cleveland, and and they were better than those teams thanks to one man, Bradley Beal. And you know it, we we talk all the time about how deep the league is with talent. Like I, I'm not saying I I think it's ridiculous that Simmons or Westbrook you know should were on third team uh, because it's not, but. Um, you know, I, how, how would you prefer that they break this down in the future? That, maybe that's the question. Would, would you, are you a just like five positions, no matter what, you know, just five uh, utility spots essentially for each team or a couple front court, a couple back court? Like how, how would you prefer that the NBA handle this going forward? Um, well, I think like three, three back court slash wing and then the two front court. Like, I think that makes the most sense. Basically like anyone who is a power forward or center can take two of the top spots. And then anyone who plays like point guard through small forward can take any of the three other spots. I think to me, that makes the most sense. Um, yeah. I, I, I think that just, that's kind of how the game is played, honestly. And you don't want to do something like, you know, too specific where we're like, well, there's two backcourt spots and then every team has a wing. So right. we need a wing spot. Um, yeah. So I, I, that's how I would do team it. all three and D. Yeah, right. Oh, yeah. Yes. That'd be going in the other direction. I, I think it could be two front court, two back court, and then one wild card spot per team. Utility? Yeah. yeah, utility. That'd be fine. I mean, I would honestly be okay with if the first team one year was Doncic, Harden, LeBron, Lillard, and um, I don't know, Westbrook. You know, five, like if it's if five guards received the, the the most votes overall, then so be it. Uh, Doncic is still like six eight. So <laughs> like these guys don't actually have to play basketball. You're not putting together a real team. Right. Yeah, that's kind of goes the same way, but they actually have to play that game. Yeah, that's kind of the argument, right? Is like theoretically, some people want this to look like a real team, and like I don't really think, I, I don't know. I understand, like I, I, 
this is a thing where I do understand both sides where people uh, you know want to use all MBA as a context. Like in the future, people want to look back at all MBA and be like, well, who are the best three centers in the in the NBA? Like I, I don't want a list of the of the top 15 guys. Right. I just I want a list of, you know, like the best 15 guys kind of broken down by position. So I, I understand that argument. Um, but I think I think just as the game, like you mentioned, transitions into more positionless basketball, it just makes more sense to do it uh, more fluid. Yeah, I mean, that's how you get DeAndre Jordan, you know, making all NBA three years in a row from 2015 to 2017, although he did have a first team in there. So, you know, I mean, it was, I guess, warranted for, for some parts. But, uh, yeah, when you when you go through and look at some of those all NBA teams from a few years ago, like oftentimes the center position is where it gets a little weak. Um, just because you, know, you, you that's the one spot where you really have to force, you know, a, a very small player pool to pull three guys out of there. You know, like Andre Drummond has a third team All NBA. Unacceptable. Yeah. Not <laughs> well, you know, the rebounding. Um, but yeah, even like Anthony Davis. I mean, Anthony Davis made the the center spot this season on first team, and he spent most of his time at power forward. So it kind of even is a little more fluid. Like yeah. I think if you make it really strict. You know, I think LeBron, what you would have put LeBron at the point guard spot and then you bump Doncic out as a forward. You put Davis there and then you put Jokic first team. I think that would have been more traditional. So the NBA did obviously allow some right AD at center sort of a thing. Exactly. And, that, and that's where there's some weird inconsistency where, you know, judging by how they handled Middleton, you would say, OK, Davis has to be a forward then. Right? He literally started at forward the entire year. I don't know. I don't know if he made one start at center during the regular season. I don't remember it. I don't think, I don't think he did. Yeah. So very strange overall. Um, I, I want to ask you. So like every year, I, I think MVP is the one award where there's the most revisionism as far as, you know, if, if they did the voting after the finals, you know, it's like every year LeBron stakes his claim. It's like, well, we should have voted for LeBron. And, you know, once again, we're going through that as LeBron himself has kind of stoked the flames with Giannis. But um, as far as all NBA, like if, if they did the voting for this after seeding games or even did the voting like right now, are there any slots that you think would change? Is there a player who isn't in there that that would be in there? Somebody who would maybe fall out, somebody who would move from second to third team? Like, is there anything that that really stands out in that regard? Uh, the two for me that I could have seen would have been Lillard onto the first team over Doncic. I think Lillard and the, the Trailblazers run into the playoffs, uh, I think really just like Lillard's stock was at an all-time high. What he was doing was insane. I almost have never seen anything like it before. And I already thought Lillard could have been on the first team over Doncic. So like that would have yeah. been enough for me. Um, and then I think you would have put, I would have put Devin Booker over Westbrook. I would have considered that anyway. But I think the Suns going 8-0 in the bubble, um, I think he could have, I think he could have made that case because Beal wasn't there. Middleton was bad in this in the seeding games, so I think I think Booker could have made it onto the third team. Yeah, that's a great one. I, I think I'm with you on Lillard. I, although I, even though James Harden's team made it further, I feel like Luka Doncic like bo- boosted his reputation more than Harden. Yeah, like, yes. Like I think Harden somehow hurt his reputation by playing more games. Like I almost think if if you had to choose between one of those guys to kick off a first team, I feel like most I, people would say it'd be Harden, right? Uh... Yeah, I mean, honestly, the way Harden's played in the playoffs compared to what we saw from Doncic in his first playoff series yeah, ever, right. 
as the leading guy, like, would you not want Doncic to lead your? Yeah, would you not want Doncic to lead your team in the playoffs over James Harden? Like, I, I don't, I, like, I don't think that's a scorching hot take. But I think the other one too is Siakam on second team. Like that really that stuck out to me because you know, yeah. this came out last week and at that that was like right when Siakam's value was at its absolute lowest. And he, I mean, he was not really great in the seeding games. He wasn't great in round one. Like he just really wasn't the same guy. But yeah, I mean, again, these are you know these are being voted on for what happened earlier in the season. And he was great for the first like 70% of the regular season, and that that's carried a lot of weight. But you know, seeing Siakam on second team and then Tatum on third team just seems really backwards right now. Yeah, Siakam. Siakam was great during the regular season, but I don't even think it's like definitive that he's the best player on the team. Like I think it was oh, like no. even in the regular season, there's an argument that like Kyle Lowry and Fred Van Vliet were doing just as much as him and were just as important to the identity of that team as Siakam. Right. I, I think for the first definitely the first half of the regular season, he was their best player. And especially the first like 20 games. I mean, he looked awesome. Uh, but he kind of gradually faded and yeah, I mean, by the end of the playoffs, I think he was pretty clearly their third best player. And that's not that's not permanent, but like just for the playoffs, like Lowry and Van Vliet drastically outplayed him. The Rotowire NBA show is brought to you by Prediction Strike. It's a fantasy sports stock market on which you can buy and sell shares of professional athletes as if they were stocks. Ever heard your friends say, I've had stock in that player since day one? Well, Prediction Strike makes that a real possibility. You had stock in Patrick Mahomes his rookie year, you knew this would happen. Now, that's a complete reality. Create a portfolio of all your favorite athletes and get closer to the game than ever before. This is basically exactly how I felt about OJ Mayo from day one. Still only 32, by the way. Tore it up in China last season. Just something to keep an eye on. Maybe an opportunity to buy low on OJ Mayo on Prediction Strike. To get started, simply visit predictionstrike.com and create an account. Then, deposit funds to buy, sell, and hold shares of your favorite players, just like you would with your real stock account. Each game is like an earnings report. If the player beats his projections, his stock moves up. It's that easy. You can trade your shares of players at any time, as long as the player is not currently playing in a game. You can get started with Prediction Strike today by visiting predictionstrike.com and sign up with our code ROTOWIRE to get an additional $10 off your first deposit of at least $20. That's code ROTOWIRE, R-O-T-O-W-I-R-E, for an additional 10 bucks with your first deposit of at least $20. Our friends at Hoops Hype put out a poll on Monday that I wanted to address. So uh, essentially, it was a, a straw poll of 15 decision makers around the league, four GMs, six executives, five scouts. Of course, they remained anonymous. Uh, but the question was, which under 25 player would you want to build around? And based on the names on this list, they were very rigid um, in terms of in terms of the birthdays. Like Porzingis just turned 25 like three weeks ago, so he's not included um anybody who's currently 25 is not included you have to be under 25 as of september 21st when this came out so 13 players overall received votes the top five were luka Doncic, jason tatum devin booker john morant and donovan mitchell um obviously not not a lot to complain about there um and then when you get a little further down in order bam Adebayo, zion williamson jamal murray Ben Simmons, Brandon Ingram, Jalen Brown, De'Aaron Fox, and Carl Anthony Towns. What is, what is your first reaction to to hearing that list of names? Doncic at number one makes sense. That's, yeah. that's my immediate that's, that's reaction. That's no brainer at this point, right? Uh, yeah, no brainer. I, I can see, I think there is a world 
where Tatum can be as effective as Doncic in like whatever role he settles into as like, you know, because he gets uh, compared to like Kawhi and KD a lot. And I think there is a world where Tatum does become kind of better than Luka Doncic or the KD to Doncic's LeBron or however you want to put that. But overall, I think just with Doncic, I would just rather rather have Doncic. Um, other than that, I was a little surprised to see John Morant over Donovan Mitchell just because Mitchell's... I mean, Mitchell had an insane playoff run, um, even though they got eliminated. Um, but I, I can also understand it. Um, honestly, when I saw the name Mitchell, I thought of Mitchell Robinson. <laughs> Don't know why that happened. Something yeah. just broke in my brain. Yeah, you, you know, um, as we all call him, just Mitchell. Just one of those one-name guys. <laughs> um, I wanted to, how do you feel? <laughs> how do you feel I, about I, I, Murray? I, think, I still think of Tony Mitchell. <laughs> was, he, was he a Pistons, like, G League call-up for a little bit? He was actually kind of the original, like, Kristen Wood for, for like, a couple weeks. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Moving on. How do, you, uh, how, do you, how do you feel about Murray, Jamal Murray over Ben Simmons? Because I think you could almost flip flop those two if you put, yeah. like, if you gave them their own teams. Because mm-hmm. this is, it's the argument for Simmons, right? It's like Embiid is quote unquote holding him back. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, I think in some ways they're holding each other back or he's holding yeah. himself back. Um, you know, in, in terms of that specific situation, I, I feel like Simmons gets more of the blame because he can't shoot, right? Like, it's, it, I guess it's kind of on the Sixers to surround him with talent that fits if he's going to be their guy. Uh, but at the same time, it's like he's kind of the one who needs to be built around as opposed to the other guys. You know, and you can build around Embiid more easily. You can build around Tobias Harris. Like he fits on any team. But Simmons is so unique in terms of his one glaring deficiency that I, I think it makes him difficult to build around. Uh, overall, I, th- I think the 13 guys on this list are about right. I, I did a sweep and I came up with a few names that I'll throw out in a little bit um, who could maybe have made this list. Uh, but for the most part, it's, it's pretty airtight. I do think that the order would change pretty drastically month to month. You know, if, if you did this poll back in July, I, I don't think Devin Booker is three. I don't know that Donovan Mitchell is five. I, I don't know that Jamal Murray is seven. Um, I, I think at that point, Ben Simmons would probably have been like four or five instead of where is he? Eighth, ninth. Yeah. Yeah. And I can understand like, and I even have some reservations about Simmons because we saw like, you know, Giannis get exposed in the playoffs where it's like, if you have a ball handler who just cannot shoot threes, like, are they, is it, is it just, are they going to get exposed every playoff series now? Is that just like how it's going to go? Um, Seems that so, way. Yeah. And so I can understand, you know, people being like, well, I would just rather have Jamal Murray. Um, one thing that I think you noted that I agree with Towns being 13th on this list. I don't know, man. I, it, that's too low to me. He is really good. Like, I know right. he's defensive issues, but so is Brandon Ingram, and he's better than Brandon Ingram. Right. Well, that's another example, too, of timing. Yeah, like, we haven't seen Carl Towns play a healthy NBA game since basically Christmas, right? Like, it, he's two years removed from being the answer not to which player under 25 would you want, but which player in the entire NBA would you choose to start your franchise with? You know, so, the, I mean, the fall for him has been uh, pretty dramatic, and I, I'm kind of with you. I, I think it's it's been a little bit unwarranted. I, I think... The unraveling of, of the entire like Jimmy Butler situation yes. reflected so poorly on Towns that I, I think a lot of people just kind of use that as their that's their evaluation now. It's like, well, Jimmy Butler said he's soft, so he's soft until proven otherwise. And while that may be the case, when healthy, he's still an 
absolutely incredible offensive player. And I, I do feel like that's been lost a little bit. He's one of the most efficient players in the NBA. He's one of the best just overall offensive players in the league. He's going I mean, even if he's even if he's soft, he's gonna go down as maybe the best shooting center ever. Uh, yeah, like, I mean, efficiency wise, yeah. I, I think that right. we're gonna see more and more guys like him, but he's kind yeah, I mean, he's the the gold standard in terms of efficiency and volume right now. He is. The, you're right. There are gonna be a ton more as we go along, ton more of like Carl Anthony Towns clones. But like that that's just the thing. It's like he's the model for the guy that we think is gonna be like maybe the future of the position right. to some extent. And it's like we're you're gonna have that guy below I, I just like I don't know, you're gonna have that guy below even Bam out of bio. Like I don't The Bam thing I get is because he's so good defensively. Like I I'm not gonna right. I'm not gonna argue with Bam, but I mean like Jamal Murray is basically the guard version of Towns, right? Right. For them to have, like, De'Aaron Fox was not good this year. As much as I love Fox, I'm still pretty high on him. Like, he was terrible this year. And, like, to put him ahead of Towns, I, I just, I wonder who they pulled. Like, that, we need we need these, these voters to reveal themselves. <laughs> need the biases exposed. Yeah. Um, so, in, in terms of some players who didn't make the list who I thought would ha- maybe have a case, I, I think the most glaring one, uh, and, you know, I'm not super surprised based on his style of play, but Trey Young. Hard not to have Trey Young in this list because I right. think you could. I think there's even an argument to put him over Towns, right? And there's an argument for sure. him over like Aaron Fox, Jalen Brown, Ingram. Yeah, he. I. It feels like he should. He has to be. I can't believe no one voted for him top what 13. Right. Or, so that, that's what I mean. I mean, does this say a lot about how he's actually viewed in league circles as opposed to fans? You know, I, I think he has. He's one of those guys that the way he plays is going to appeal more to like casual fans, kids. Than the, than the actual effectiveness. Um, but this is still pretty drastic. I mean, do you think he would at least get a spot on this list? That gap is must be really big because yeah. we, I mean, we work at, in fantasy where Trey Young had the seventh best fantasy season on a per-game basis. Like, he was incredible. And he had a better fantasy season than Doncic. But when it comes to, like you mentioned, inner circles of, like, league scouts, et cetera, he can't even crack 13th. Doncic was number one. So I think, I don't know if it's a personality thing. I don't know if people think it's like, well, listen, the guy is like six foot tall, yeah. 180 pounds soaking wet. Like he can't guard anybody. And that's going to get exposed in the playoffs. It can... <laughs> well, I, maybe. Um, so I, I don't. I do think Doncic showing that he can at least hold his own defensively. I mean, no one's saying that Luka Doncic is a great defender, but it's not like I mean, the Mavericks. The Mavericks held their own in that series against the Clippers, and and now it's maybe been proven that the Clippers weren't quite as good as we thought they were. But you know, there's a lot of momentum with you know if Porzingis is is remotely healthy in that series, maybe they steal it. You know, I, I, I guess like for, for Trey Young, it's just kind of like you have to prove it at some point. And even though his stats, you know, kind of stacked up pretty closely to Doncic's, you know, he was a better scorer, kind of right up there as a passer. Uh, doesn't rebound nearly as well, of course, but. I think Doncic's team success has kind of proven that he he can at least be a guy that you can build around. Whereas Trey Young can be a fun player to have, but I don't know that he's quite proven that he's like a franchise cornerstone yet. Yeah, he's gonna have to get in the playoffs, and he's gonna have to prove that his bad defense just doesn't matter. And I don't want to say he's like bad defensively. It's just at a certain point. I mean, this is like Isaiah Thomas, right? Like at yeah, a certain point, exactly. there's just nothing you can do. Like you can't. You know, if if Chris Middleton, like he often likes to do, posts up Luka Doncic, he's not going to go through Doncic. But if Chris Middleton, like, posts up Trey Young, it's like they're going to have to send a double team because 
Middleton's going to just, you know, like do one drop step and make a layup. No, exactly. Um, yeah, I mean, you mentioned Fox and, and Brown. I, those guys are a little bit surprising in terms of showing up on this list. Um, but w- when you're using the caveat of being under 25, you, you do kind of run out of names. Like, I, you're never necessarily going to build an entire team around Jalen Brown or, you know, I guess you can, you can kind of build around around De'Aaron Fox. I don't, I don't know that he'll ever be a true, like, 1A type of guy. Um, in terms of other guys who I, I thought could maybe be on this list, John Collins came to mind. He's under 25. Um, I, I think he's, to me, he's kind of in that same tier as like a De'Aaron Fox, Jalen Brown, different types of players, of course, but on, on the same level, uh, DeMontis Sabonis, who was an all-star this year, D'Angelo Russell, who was an all-star two years ago, and Shea Gilgis-Alexander was, was my last one. But other than those five, I, I really couldn't think of anybody else. I think that all makes sense. John Collins is, I mean, another, obviously on the Hawks, but like another guy who I, I am so like his career arc like his potential future career arc i have no idea where it's gonna go like we yeah. know he's good like he just he guys just don't average 20 and 10 on great efficiency in the nba when they're like 23 years old or however old he, he might be younger than that um but like he's basically locked in at the four now with capella there we don't know if the hawks are good it's just like he's not great defensively it's just like really unclear what he's gonna kind of turn into um, and some of those other guys, like, you know, Sabonis was, uh, he was arguably the best player on a team that, you know, like, a, what were they? I mean, they were basically like, they're the four seed. Yeah, um, and so we know he's good. And, mm-hmm. you know, SGA, obviously really good. I'm not sure exactly what position he plays, um, but that doesn't really matter. Yeah. And uh, we've kind of seen what we've seen out of D'Angelo Russell. Not really clear if he's a winning player, but again, someone like Trey Young, who you can have him on your team and he's fun and exciting. Right. I, I'm surprised. Thank you, by the way, for not bringing up Christian Wood in this. <laughs> I, uh, wait, is he even under 25? I hate that oh, I have to check this. Man. I kind of know that he, he's been bouncing around for so long. He I, don't, is, I don't know that he is. Yep. 24 and 361 days he qualifies. <laughs> <laughs> wow. That's that's actually yeah. kind of a slap in the face, then. He's the poor man's Carl Towns. Yeah. Will he use this as motivation? We'll see. <laughs> last last point on this. I'm surprised how low Zion is. I think if this poll had been conducted in uh, late February, let's like right around the All Star break, like when Zion was you know was kind of kind of at the peak of his powers, I guess, or was at least peak of his like captivation. Um, I think he would have been like one or one A with Doncic, right? And now he's at seven, like. You'd really rather start a team with with Donovan Mitchell than than Zion Williamson. I, I I think to me that shows, if nothing else, like just how much teams are are cooled off on him, like health wise. Yeah, I mean, what if we pulled those executives during his debut when he hit four threes against the Spurs? Yeah, Ohio would be on this list. Or is um, his on the year? <laughs> yeah, I think I think you're right. It's a, it's a little surprising how low he is, but. Yeah, there's health concerns, The just like in addition to his knee, just like his weight and conditioning in general. I mean, he did not look great for the first few games of the bubble. Um, I think there's still just some concern about like his offensive game. If it's too like one dimensional, is he even like even I mean, he was an awful defender. Like there are some people who are like, no, he's not that bad. Like from what I watched, yeah, like I watched. Very bad. Yeah, I watched that, almost like all the Zion's games. Like I, I understand like his. The, I mean, the biggest concern for me on offense was the passing 
didn't really seem to translate. Like that, that was kind of the thing that drew a lot of Draymond comparisons at Duke was like his outlet passing, his ability to dribble and, and pass in transition. Like we just didn't really see a lot of that. Like all he did was grab seven or eight rebounds and finish at a ridiculous, you know, ridiculously efficient rate right at the rim, which is extremely valuable. But I think we, it feels like we only saw like 60% of the offensive game or the all around game. I should, I should say um, that we saw at Duke. So you know, for the most part, I think people have given him the benefit of the doubt, but it does feel like him showing up, at least looking out of shape and looking sluggish in the bubble, um, kind of has rubbed some people the wrong way. I think so. And is again, he's just like, like a unique prospect. It's like, again, really hard to tell. Can he be the best player on a team? And like that team win the title? His free throw shooting is a concern. There's just like a lot that I think, I, th- I, I mean, I think, next year will be really important for him. Like, honestly, because they, they have a new coach. Their team con- construct might look a little different. We'll see if he gets integrated into the offense a little differently. I just think year two is, like, huge for mm-hmm. Zion. Absolutely. I, I think within 20 games next season, we'll have a much better read on where this is all going. You know, I think he's either going to be really good or there's a chance that he, after five games, you know, he's out with a sore knee again and, like, the alarm bells really start ringing. Yeah. All right, let's get to uh, an article that, that we put up on the site earlier this month. Uh, another thing that we've had on the agenda for a while and have been wanting to address um, in the fantasy realm is bold predictions for next season. And you know, at, at the heart of it, we are a, a fantasy sports website. That's what we do day to day. You know, on the pod, we tend to talk more non-fantasy, uh, but you know, it's always an interesting discussion point. And Lo and behold, the first thing on our list, which which you wrote up, is that Zion Williamson will not be worth a third round pick next season, which if you look around is is oftentimes kind of where he's projected. Yeah, he just like is um I've said this before, but the gap between his his real life talent and his fantasy stats or his fantasy production, like just do it's a huge gap, like maybe the biggest in the league mm-hmm. between raw talent and fantasy production because he like he's he's the He's extremely dominant around the rim, but he hits zero threes. And I don't expect that to really change because his shot's broken. Didn't really pass the ball. Got no defensive stats and is basically an average rebounder. Mm-hmm. And so it's just like, I, and I don't see any of those improving like dramatically. Like I think he could, I think he could improve his passing and maybe he gets more comfortable on defense and he jumps the passing lanes and get some help side blocks because we saw so much of that at Duke. Um, but it's just, he was 91st in per game basis in, fa- uh, in fantasy. So a jump, you know, if you're expecting him to jump 60 spots, that is, that is a lot for a player to jump. Right. I, I think there's not going to be a single player who's more overdrafted than him next year. I think he's one of those guys that it's just, it's just fun to have Zion on your team. I think we saw that even this year where people were, were very trigger happy with Zion, uh, kind of hoping to catch lightning in a bottle. And I, I don't, sadly, I don't really think that many people are going to be scared off by, by how iffy he looked, uh, especially from a fantasy perspective. Um, my, my first prediction in that article was that Kevin Durant would return to being a top 10 overall player. And we, we kind of addressed this on, on last week's pod on Thursday, which you can find in the Rotowire NBA podcast feed. I, I'm just very confident that of all guys to come back from this severe of an injury, that Kevin Durant's going to be the guy who we look at and say, like, he just doesn't really look all that much different. I mean, he's he's such a an 
it like an effortless like he makes everything look effortless and i think he can play effortlessly and still score like 22 points a game on like you know like basically 50 40 90 like kevin durant as even just like a basically a spot-up shooter who takes it easy most nights because of his achilles is still going to be an elite player um and it's still going to just fall his way into 20 points um so i think i think anything beyond that like getting something beyond that's obviously like possible and he, he, by the time next season rolls around which could be as late as march he's gonna have had a ton of time off right it'll be close to 20 months uh and if it's march it'll be more than 20 months and you know i mean at, at that point you really can't say that there will be anything of concern physically you know maybe, maybe there's a mental barrier that you sometimes see with those severe injuries um but i mean he, he's one of the the nets in general are just one of the teams the very few teams that I think have benefited from this entire situation because they were never really playing for this season. And although next year, who knows what the schedule is going to look like. It's been hectic for everyone, but getting Durant that extra rehab time, getting Kyrie that extra rehab time, you know, they've had all this additional time to, to conduct their coaching search and hire Steve Nash. Like I think they're, they're like the one franchise that's really going to be set up well to kind of hit the ground running next year. Um, I, I will now see the floor to you to talk about why Christian Wood. We'll finish as a top 15 fantasy center. <laughs> Thank you. Um, yeah, from, I mean, he was, he was actually really good. So from beginning of February onward, basically until the league stopped in March, he was averaging 22 points, 10 rebounds, two assists, two combined steals and blocks, 50% for the field, 1.73 a game at 41%. He was really good. Like very, they just leaned on him a ton. They just let him, they just let him cook. Um, as exciting and depressing as that sounds. So I don't know what's going to exactly happen next season because Blake Griffin will presumably be back. Derek Rose is going to, I mean, they're both going to start the season healthy, I assume. And Luke Kennard will still be there. So there is a possibility that he's like the fourth option. But it's just like really difficult for me. Like it's, I know it was a limited sample and I know the season was like over, but there's only so much you can like, not have that guy play mm-hmm. right like how much your the franchise is just like it's just horrible like you yeah. have to at least get some value out of him even if you don't want him like you just trade him for something i i personally was burned on my prediction that the hornets would maybe win like nine games last year um just just <laughs> because Devonte graham single-handedly was you know kind of came out of nowhere i think i'm going to double down and make that same prediction for the Pistons next year. There's no no chance that this roster kind of has a, a Devontae Graham laying in wait, right? I mean, I think this might be even bleaker than what the Hornets were looking at coming into this past year. I mean, they still have Blake Griffin and Derrick Rose. Like, I actually I forgot about Blake. I honestly had just kind of ruled yeah. him out. I was like, you can't count on him. But yeah, I guess if I guess yeah, if Blake if Blake even gives you like 35 games, you probably yep. win 12 of those. Should win half of those. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I forgot about Blake. That's on me. All right. I will not be making that prediction. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> another one of mine was that no rookie will finish inside the top 120. And I, I don't know if this is like, it's not that bold of a prediction. Um, there's been some pretty bad rookie classes. Um, you could, it's kind of tough to find some data on that uh, going back super far. Um, but only two rookies this past year fit that criteria, made the, made the top 120. And that was John Morant and Kendrick Nunn, who is kind of a rookie. You know, it was kind of in a unique situation in Miami. Um, so, I mean, it's, it's not unprecedented by any means, but I think we have you know, such a, uh, just like an unknown 
uh, draft class coming in with Anthony Edwards, James Wiseman, Lamella Ball, Denny Abdija, uh, kind of the, kind of the top four. I mean, at least those first three are, are seemingly the consensus top three at this point. We'll see as we get closer. But I mean, even Anthony Edwards, it's like a lot of his faults, efficiency, not a great passer, um, you know, was inconsistent on defense. Like a lot of those don't necessarily um, project well for fantasy. You know, like he he he's kind of like an R.J. Barrett type in in some ways where. Um, you know, a lot of his like efficiency related faults could, could kind of knock him down fantasy boards. Wiseman, we've seen him play like 40 total minutes of college basketball. You know, a lot of unknown there as well. LaMelo ball, everybody knows the story. Like, I, I just don't know that there's really enough of a sure thing in this draft and, and maybe, you know, somewhere in the 12 to 20 range, you get like, a um, you know, I'm, I'm thinking of like a Matisse Tybal type of guy, you know, somebody who just comes in and is, is just playing 25 minutes a night from the get go and you know can just kind of give you like McCall Bridges type of numbers like that's very possible but I, d- I don't like enough of these guys at the top to think that there's anyone in this draft like Morant and Zion last year where you go in saying like man I really want to get this guy you know especially if you're in a keeper league or something like that like as of now it's just really it's really tough to get excited about any of those guys both from a real life perspective and especially from a fantasy perspective yeah from a fantasy perspective it's really all about like workload and opportunity Right. I mean, if a guy is going to, even if we think a lot of a guy, if he's going to come in and play 24 minutes, he's just not going to be relevant, like in fantasy, unless he's like incredible. Like Zion could have been fantasy relevant in 24 minutes a game. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's just, there's the, the level of excitement or the lack of excitement about this class is like really very apparent. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think the pandemic has just has only amplified that if nothing else. Um, you know, I, I think this was going to be, it was shaping up to be kind of like that, the MCW draft, uh, the, also known as the Anthony Bennett, Nerlens Noel draft. <laughs> the and, MCW draft. Yeah, the, well, the rookie of the year. And I, I think, you know, in a normal year, they would have had trouble generating hype for this. Like, I don't even know if the average NBA fan even knows when the draft is taking place at this point, partially because they keep pushing it back. Uh, all right, so Lakers Nuggets has just concluded. Let's get to that. Uh, before we talk a little Celtics heat, uh, before we run up against our time, the Lakers actually made this a game. I, I don't know how close of an eye you were able to keep on that uh, while we were recording, but they had it down to, I believe, three points at one point late in the fourth quarter. Uh, then the offense just kind of stalled out. The Lakers didn't score for over four minutes uh, of game time late in the fourth. This was a game, I mean, if you watched it live, you knew the Lakers were going to be in trouble from an effort perspective early on. Uh, I mean, huge rebounding deficit in this game. Um, they only had 25 total rebounds for the entire game. 44 to 25 uh, was the final margin in terms of rebounding, which is astonishing for how good of a rebounding team the Lakers have been. Anthony Davis had two rebounds in this game, did not have a single rebound until late into the fourth quarter, uh, despite playing 43 minutes. Um not a great first half from LeBron James had five turnovers in the first half after having six uh, in all of game two, but he ends up salvaging a, a classic. This is a, a classic LeBron uh, triple double in a loss 30, 11 and 10 uh, had two steals and two blocks. But I mean, we were talking on Slack during this game, like the Lakers lack of shooting is appalling. You know, when, when you look on the other side and, you know, Michael Porter, knocked down a couple of jumpers. Monte Morris hit a couple of threes. Jamal Murray had four threes in this game. Um, I mean, the, the bench unit for Denver, Monte Morris, Michael Porter, Torrey Craig, uh, just vastly outplayed uh, what we saw from LA, especially the the Caruso, Rondo, Kuzma minutes. 
Yeah, I think the Lakers started off 2 of 11 from 3. They finished 6 of 26. That's 23%. Um, only shot 64% on free throws. And, like, you just... If you win a game, like, you're just... You're not really going to win a game like that. Um, and Denver was getting almost anything they wanted, it felt like, for uh, large portions of this game. Like, they were driving the lane. They were being the more physical team. They just, like, kind of took control of the game early from a physicality standpoint. We're making basically making the refs call stuff by just being constantly, you know, being physical, drawing contact, driving and kicking. Like even if like the, the nuggets do are continue to do a really good job of if it's a semi contested three, a lot of times they don't take it unless it's Michael Porter, uh, then he takes it. But if it's semi contested, they pump fake and drive. They always search for the better shot or the layup. And that just results in them. I mean, this game, they, they shot, you know, 55% of the field, 38% from three, um, they also shot 29 free throws, which is obviously like an awesome mark. Um, just complete control of the game. Yeah, the the refereeing has definitely tilted back toward Denver, if not maybe toward the middle, uh, after being very much in favor of the Lakers in game one um, to, to an almost laughable point at, at certain times in that game. But I thought early on, Nicole Jokic especially uh, was the beneficiary of, of a few calls that, that kind of got Denver going. But um, I mean, Jeremy Grant, 26 points, uh, 7 of 11 from the field, um, had, a, had a blow by on LeBron, like five possessions into the game uh, where you, you kind of knew at that point it, it might be one of those nights uh, for LeBron, who, like I said, did turn it on late in this one. Um, but the free throw discrepancy, LeBron? <laughs> yeah, LeBron is good. Yeah, LeBron uh, no, is Jeremy Grant. Jeremy like, Grant I'm not, is good. I, like, I'm not convinced Kyle Kuzma is ever showing up. Like, no. I... Like, I, I just have zero faith in him. Meanwhile, like, Jeremy Grant, I I mean, I have infinitely more faith in him. Like, it's not even close. Well, I think Grant, I mean, Grant's one of those guys that every single team in the league could find 25 minutes for, right? Which I, I was so puzzled that OKC basically gave him away. And I, I think if the Thunder could do that over, they probably would have kept him for one more year. Um, but that was one of the reasons, that, I think, before the year that... You know, I'd written in a, in a couple spots on the site that I, I really thought Denver could finish with the one seed. I, I thought the Lakers would, you know, not be pedal to the metal for the whole regular season like they like they kind of were. Um, and, you know, they were already pretty stacked at every spot. And, you know, bringing Paul Millsap back, I know he hasn't been great, but, um, you know, that was an interesting call at, at the amount of money. And then to add Jeremy Grant to that, um, you know, it's paying dividends. He's He's kind of struggled on and off, especially offensively during these playoffs, but this was, you know, by, by far the best playoff game of his entire career. I mean, he got to the line 12 times in this game. The Lakers had 14 made free throws as an entire team. I mean, LeBron James got to the line twice in this game and they were both on a flagrant foul. Yeah. It would have been really interesting to see OKC if they would have had Jeremy Grant be able to play five for them right. against Houston. That would have just been, that would have been awesome. But yeah, the Nuggets, they continue to show off the depth. Like you can trust Jeremy Grant. You can trust even Monte Morris, Michael Porter Jr. We obviously know what he's capable of. Uh, Gary Harris continues to play good defense. Like there are times where Paul Millsap, I see Paul Millsap out there and I'm like, this guy is washed. I think he got rim oh, yeah. stuffed on a dunk oh, yeah. that was, you know, the made to look like it had a shot blocked the other night. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, they just don't need him to be, I mean, if if the Lakers had Paul Millsap on this team, they would on on their team, they would need him to be good every single night. It feels like, 
And Paul Millsap can just have like a terrible series and the Nuggets could still pull it out because they have even Torrey Craig, like Torrey Craig gets 15 minutes. Torrey Craig had played like 30 minutes on the Lakers. Yeah. And you could say that about most teams in the playoffs. And this is, this is all kind of leading to if the Lakers make it through this series, which still appears likely, but I mean, the final score of this game does not tell the story whatsoever. The Lakers were thoroughly outplayed. Uh, until basically with the exception of like a six minute stretch in the fourth quarter, this was all nuggets from an effort perspective, from a shot making perspective, from, you know, just not looking completely cluttered in the half court perspective as the Lakers did for much of this game. I mean, Rondo and LeBron have no chemistry right now whatsoever. They're, they're both just completely throwing the ball all over the place. Rondo, especially four turnovers um, after having five in, in game two, he's been really, really bad for them was 0 of three for three um, again in this one. But if the Lakers do make it through, I, I was I was talking to our colleague James Anderson about this. Like I I don't think I would pick the Lakers to beat Miami. I would it would be a little bit tougher if they play Boston. But I, everything that Miami does well to frustrate teams that maybe have more top end talent, I I just I think the the Lakers are kind of the team that they would want to play almost. You know, like I I think Denver Denver to me is more of like a Boston type of opponent that could that would play Miami really closely. Whereas I I think. I think the Heat feel pretty good uh, about a matchup where the opponent might have the two best players, but Miami might have legitimately the next six or seven. Yeah, I mean, all of these teams, well, I guess Miami and, and Boston are teams that will, they will pull out defensive schemes to just force you into the worst shots your offense is supposed to take, right? Like, that's their whole, that's what they do, is they play, they switch up their defense and, you know, if they're playing the Lakers, they're going to make them take as many outside jumpers as possible, stuff like that. Um, they're kind of, I would assume they would play them similarly to how, you know, uh, like they play against the Bucks. But, you know, I mean, I don't know, man. The Nuggets, the Nuggets do such a good job on offense. The Nuggets are kind of the opposite. They do a great job on offense of exposing every little weakness in your defense. And... You know, they're not a great defensive team, but they can get by because their individual personnel can be good. Gary Harris can be good. Paul Millsap, Jeremy Grant, all those guys can be good individually. So there are just going to be some nights where Denver will, will, they'll just blow you out. They'll be, they'll win by like 20 or they'll be up by 25 for a stretch of, of a game. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, if the Lakers get to the finals, I, again, like I've, I didn't have confidence picking them. I, I still picked the Lakers in six in this series, did not feel great about it. And I'm not sure I would feel great about picking them in the NBA finals either. We're going to have a ton of confidence. It's not something I don't think I would, I would bet on, right. for example. I, I, I never have the feeling that the Lakers are the team that has like the, the more like will to win, which is, you know, it's kind of an intangible type of concept, but you know, like I, I just don't try, I frankly do not trust anyone on this team outside of LeBron and Davis at all. KCP was actually very good in game three. Um, but it was it was another bad game for Green. I mean, Alex Caruso has been probably their worst overall bench player um, in in the entire playoffs so far. He's now, I believe, by my count, ten of forty four from beyond the arc uh, in the playoffs, missing you know almost every single one of those is is a wide open look. He was 0-4 in Game Three, one of seven from the field, had a shot that that landed behind the backboard from the baseline. Um, he's he's been been tough, and when you go against a Miami team that I think, or a Boston team, both of those teams I think are, are slightly better than Denver. They, they maybe don't have one, you know, killer weapon like Jokic, who's, who's obviously given the Lakers a lot of trouble 
Um, but I, I think, you know, the ways that Denver has been able to frustrate the Lakers are, are just like playing hard, crashing the boards, things right, like that, yeah. because the Lakers like just hate boxing out. They hate having to put in the extra effort to make sure a pass doesn't get tipped, you know, things like that. Um, like Miami and Boston do those things even better than Denver does. And I, I, that's where I think the Lakers would really run into some trouble where the blueprint is out there now where Denver is just backing off LeBron. They're, they're more than happy to let LeBron pull up for a jumper off of a pick and roll. They're more than happy to funnel him into the lane where two or three guys are just kind of waiting. You know, you can play off any one of these guys on the perimeter. I, the point I've been wanting to bring up, and I, I forgot to bring this up last week, on, on the low post last week, Stan Van Gundy brought up an, an awesome point and used a great term. He, I had never actually heard this term in a basketball contest, context. Um, he said the Lakers do not have, quote, a single sticker. And what he meant by that is like a Kyle Korver type. He said they don't have one guy who you cannot leave open under any circumstances. It doesn't have to be Kevin Durant or Steph Curry, but they don't even have a three-point specialist. Like Troy Daniels would fit that category. Like there is not <laughs> one single player on this team who when you're an opposing defense, you have to say, no matter what, we can't let this guy shoot. You know, And oftentimes those guys suck on defense or they can't do anything but shoot. But the fact that the Lakers don't have one of those guys, I thought that was an awesome point by SVG. Like they don't have like a zone buster, basically. Right. Like Kyle Korver would play 15 minutes on this team like he oh. did for the Bucks, right? Kyle Korver would be infinitely valuable to the Lakers in this series against Denver, where like they would just they would just kind of match Korver's minutes with a lot of LeBron's where you put Korver in the corner. And this guy who's currently waiting for LeBron on the block no longer can do that. Right. Yeah, because that's the thing. It's like, okay, well, if LeBron shoots a three, you've you've that's pretty close to about like the best outcome that you can have as a defense, right? Like if LeBron pulls up for a three, you're like, okay, great, we made LeBron pull up from three. And if he drives, you figure, okay, we can cut him off. And normally cutting LeBron off would be a problem because he's such an elite passer that he kicks to someone who is wide open, he puts it right in their shooting pocket and they shoot it, except that the shooters aren't good. So yes. the game plan is you just like you exactly like you mentioned, you funnel him into the lane, you cut him off, you don't follow, he passes somebody who is not going to make the shot. And if Danny Green catches it and he is, doesn't shoot it, well, he's not going to drive. And you're not you're not scared of Danny Green driving. You're not scared of KCP driving. Kuzma is a ghost. He has just disappeared. Um, and again, if you it's the same thing with Rondo. You just let Rondo shoot threes. Again, you, you funnel him into the paint. He kicks out to who? Um, right. No, exactly. I mean, even even like a Channing Frye type would be huge for this team. Uh, <laughs> unfortunately, we are we are out of time, Alex. We got about 15 seconds left here. Uh, make sure to check out all of our content on RotoWire.com. You can find infinitely more episodes of our podcast uh, in the RotoWire NBA Pod feed wherever you get your podcast. We will be back next Wednesday. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.